Finding how you fit in that picture, I think, is a lifelong journey. You have to try a lot of things, see if something sticks. But when you find that thing, you run with it, baby. One always needs to see how one can improve oneself. One can grow. Never stay settled with what you're doing. I try to think about if I'm offering value. Because if people are taking their time to watch my content, or they choose to subscribe or follow me, you know, I want to make sure that it's worth their time, and I am providing any value. And whether if that be something educational or entertainment or inspiration, you want to, as a creator, bring value. I think, in any sense, and I think that is the baseline in which will help build. I think. An audience and have people continue to return and in- interact with you is if you can continue to provide some sort of value. Welcome everybody to the Baking Notes, Notes Podcast. Podcast, Podcast, Podcast. What it do? Oh my gosh, our first multi-guest roundtable throwdown. This episode is definitely one of my favorites. It, we brought in our boys. We brought in the boys. squad. We brought in the A-team for this one, y'all. So I hope you guys enjoy it. It's, once again, Ken Kubota, the cellist, co-founder, member of Empire Wild, Instagram sensation, on one corner. And on the other corner, we have our boy, the associate ding, ding, ding. principal cellist of the Seattle Symphony, Nathan Chan, social media extraordinaire, just brilliant investor and an intelligent, thoughtful human. We had an incredible conversation. If you've been on the internet in the past 10 years, you've seen one of these guys. They're there. They're a presence. They're educating. They're creating. Man, and they're inspiring. So we open up about NFTs. And then we talk about dealing with criticism, consistency, the pros and cons of being a social presence and a creator for so many years. We also talk about how to execute the game plan and what really is at the core of the craft of creation, of music, of art making. And we we have fun. We're just hanging out, having some questions. And as it goes, it gets deeper and deeper, also more and more motivational. I don't know about you, Drew, but I'm pumped. Oh, dude, I have three sticky notes of notes <laughs> of things that I want to do now. And it's nothing we actually said, but like my brain just lit on fire with ideas on where I want to take my my creations. So yeah, this if you're kind of in a rut and you want to get inspired, this is the episode to listen to. There's also some cool stuff about Adele. Oh. Um, so uh, a certain someone uh, sitting across from me drew's Adele concert. So stay in for the scoop on that. Lil T. Yeah. But before yes, Adele, let's say hello to our podcast. Please subscribe, leave us a review, and so we'll read it on the pod. We'll read it right here. I dare mm-hmm. you. Give us a review. Five stars only. It's all we accept. And don't forget to join our Discord channel. Discord. We just had a chat, a little 
kind of a round table like this about the entrepreneur life as an artist. You, if you weren't there, you missed out. Shout out to Aunt Shay and Travis for, for showing up and, and being a part of that. And Emmanuel, of course, for being the uh, person who started it. And there's more of that in the future. So join our Discord, Faking Notes Podcast. And uh, if you want to support us, you know, keep helping us grow this podcast, support us on Patreon. We need funding. We got to make sure producer Daniel gets some dinner money. But we also want to expand the team. There's a lot of content that we can't make right now that we want to. Skits, comedy, more long-form videos. I mean... Yeah, all you got to do if you want some pictures of my feet, you know. Just, <laughs> Donate to you know the Patreon. To Top tier. Donate to, to the Patreon. But anyway, Faking Nose Podcast on Patreon if you want to support us monetarily. But uh, without further ado, let's get into our epic conversation with the one, the only, well, the two. The two. The two, the, the, the only. <laughs> Nathan Chan, Chan and Ken, Ken Kubota. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining the Faking Those Podcast. We've done a hundred episodes and we thought it'd be so dope to just bring our boys back here with us. Nathan Chan and Ken Kubota. And even more so, we want to actually bring producer Daniel in on the chat and have him light the torch on this Olympic endeavor uh, by starting the conversation. So, producer Daniel, uh, thank you. Ken Kubota, thank you. Nathan Chan, thank you for joining the Fake Nose Podcast. Welcome, everybody. I sound like I'm the host, but no, it's a pleasure <laughs> to be back. Yeah. Pleasure Thanks be back. for having us, man. <laughs> is this a takeover? A Fake Nose uh, yeah, Podcast this is takeover? Actually, yeah, Nathan and I, we're just going to actually interrogate you three. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Row, row. <clears throat> yes. So, Nathan, Ken. Oh, by the way, it's producer Daniel here. What's up, Fagin Fam? You, 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 the, the Fagin mm-hmm. Fam haven't, uh, um, they haven't heard me very much. You know, I've made some brief cameos and stuff like that, but uh, this is me. Hello, this is me. <laughs> uh, words of wisdom from Mattel. Um, anyways, Nathan and Ken, it's been a minute. How have you guys Doing been? Doing well, Dan. How's life? You know, just good. living life, yeah. enjoying enjoying the days. Yeah, uh, Drew and I are really uh-huh. deep into the crypto universe, which has been fun. <laughs> it's hard to to practice right. when you're keeping track of all the tr- the the charts and the daily markets, and you know, we just trying to get financially literate out here mm-hmm. and be great at our instruments. You know how it is. Mm-hmm. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off this first question. So that's actually something that I wanted to talk to you about, Nathan. Uh, and something I guess you could maybe go into a little bit more detail about, which is um I I understand that you've um <laughs> dipped that's right. your toes tea game. Yeah, you just long ago released an NFT. Yes, um, it's artist, doing right? uh, pretty well. How's that doing? Right. Unfortunately, the uh, marketplace in which we listed our NFT, which is based on the Tezos blockchain, was recently 
sort of shut down. So we're thinking about the next project and I've got a, a really interesting concept that I would love to run by you guys. Okay. Oh, bring he, it. Yeah. So I'm going to commission 15 to 20 composers to create works that are the synthesis of everything they stand for in the musical world. But there's a, let's say there's a, a, a limit in terms of what the defining domain can be. What is this? The request is to create a piece that's no longer than one minute in length. Mm. Can it be done? Mm. <laughs> the challenge <laughs> is yours. And so I, I would love to create this album. And then after each of these pieces is created, I want to pair each work with an amazing creative visual artist and release the album as a visual album uh, and as NFTs. What do you think about that? Do you want to jump in, Drew? Of course. No, I think that what is so valuable about this is that it is clear. I think that limits are not only necessary, but they are the kindling upon which a forest fire of creativity can burn. Hmm. And it also trends very well with the attention spans of, of humans in terms of like our ability hmm. to process information over time. Uh, unfortunately, due to like being a part of the information age, we can't we don't really pay attention to longer form things mm. uh as well <laughs> which is like probably why you know it's not very smart to start a podcast that uh with episodes <laughs> that are like 90 minutes plus long but I, I think there is like this dichotomy you know i think that people do come to podcasts for long form mm. and when it comes to nft projects these will live in different platforms other than a podcast so i think that you know the shorter sure. constraint is beautiful now can you speak more specifically about like, you know, what are the parameters that you want people to stand for, right? Like, is this mm -hmm. going to be like social issues? Is this going to be like charities? This is going to be like, I stand for pizza. So, <laughs> you know, like, I'm curious as to like the, the metrics, because I think the more you niche down, the more powerful this product can be. So uh, I loved what you were, you were saying. And I, I guess the the whole genesis of the idea was whether or not one could marry creativity and conciseness. Mm. And in that respect, the theme is, is that. I really want the music to speak for itself in terms of what's what's really possible in, in a shorter constraint. An another thing I want to do is make sure that the instrumentation is not limited. So it's not like a solo cello album or anything, because I understand that, especially these days, one can really augment and find incredible diversity in the density of sounds with technology, multiple instruments, multi-tracking. I want to explore all those possibilities and sort of marry those ideas in which your creativity is not l limited in that scope, but it's limited in terms of time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think it's brilliant i want to i want to hear trevor's thoughts because i'm of course the, a big fan yeah. of anything that can help 
poor little composers out. And you should be able to find 15 to 20. Uh, they're not really doing anything. Uh, so hit them up. <laughs> uh, well, but maybe we can go. Sorry, go ahead. After you. No, no, no go for it. And I think what will be interesting too, and what I like, I think we're all on very similar pages with, you know, the pros and cons of NFTs and yada, yada, putting all the basic conversations aside. One thing I like about it, and that we've already seen with the music that's been released in the NFT space is that the audience for these, the people buying these, people sharing these and promoting these is not our usual audience, which is amazing. Amazing, yes. People are finding value. And by finding value, I mean expensive value, actual monetary value. And all of these new pieces, these newer, weirder pieces, old classics, whatever, what have you, because... We've gone to them. It's in this new space. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. They're buying up firsts of things. Your first opera on the blockchain, your first orchestral piece, your first classical piece, your first this. It's still mm-hmm. early. It's still mm-hmm. exciting. And these are people who would probably never go into a concert hall. And I think that's really, really exciting mm-hmm. to kind of be able to reach another audience and for them to enjoy and find value in it. That's something you see in contemporary art or just the art field in general. It's easy to own a piece of art. You buy it, you hold it, you hang it up in your house, you wait 20 years for the artist to die, and then you resell it for 10 times its value. (laughs) And here we have a case that doesn't happen to music. I mean, the one time that happened, you get the Wu-Tang Clan, and then they sold it to that pharmaceutical asshole. Right? Like who just bought that for a million bucks? Like we, there's so few examples where people are valuing the ownership of music right. as a artistic, artistic commodity in a sense. And mm. I think this is exciting because we can actually get to that. It can, it's changed the lives of some of these composers who've already jumped in into this sphere. And I mm. think it can really change the lives of those who can be brought into it. So anyone who's who's going out there and setting this up and bringing in composers, bringing in musicians, and putting them on the blockchain, I'm a fan of. So thank you, Nathan. Yay! And what what's interesting to me is I feel like, especially for composers, there's not the most obvious path to get into this world unless you're collaborating with lots of you know musicians. And I feel that this is an interesting proposal. And and then even more specifically, if we Think about how composers value their time. A lot of times it's charged per minute of writing. Is that correct? Yeah, and that's typically something that goes into it. But I think as composers get out of out of that classical music sphere, for instance, something that really excites me about NFTs and things I've been doing that I think are fun and fulfilling are like audio brands. You've got six to eight seconds. You're trying to make a recognizable and distinguishable sound that matches this behavioral clinic or wow. this particular, you know, NASA photographer or something. Just very specific examples, because that's some of the ones I've like worked on. They're really fun. How do you make that's someone's cool. sound in eight seconds or six seconds for their YouTube fly-in? Mm. Uh, I charge a lot <laughs> because it takes a lot of time to make those eight seconds. And so I'm glad I don't charge by the minute on that. But it's something really fun. And it's a new type of avenue that gets out of this traditional sphere. As someone who makes a ton of music and records a lot of music, Ken, 
what on earth does like or NFTs mean to you? Like, does is this can this fit into into the jams? Like, how does this work for you? Yeah, could I think you know maybe in a way that it could probably fit in the most realistically right now are just my like my short loops, the cello pizzicato loops that I have, and in that same sense where Nathan was mentioning, you know, it's the the restriction, the how how creative can you get in like a very short amount of time, and that's kind of what I have going, where I just have I just create these like ten second. 20 second loops of a progression that's cello pizzicato and that could be you know an nft and you know Mm -hmm. i feel like just down the road everything is just gonna start to become an nft anyway when you know whether people are ready for it or not airline tickets your concert tickets you know when you go anywhere and you're scanning a qr code for Anything, you know, like that might just become an NFT down the road. So it's exciting to see what it can turn into. And I think some people may be skeptic or they're like, what is NFT? But I have a feeling it's just going to become a very central part of just how how we just go about our day-to-day life and how we hold on to material or things and just carry value around. I'm becoming more and more of an environmentalist by the day because I just see how recycling is a failure, how our landfills are overflowing. And so think about how many trees we'll save like by not printing things on paper anymore uh, and just having them exist on a blockchain. It, it could be really an ecological win as well, um, just extrapolating into the future. I just wanted to add that, but I'm excited. I can't wait to funge the shit out of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I like, and particularly actually for both uh, Nathan and Ken, is with these little loops and these smaller, more fragmented things, one, it, of course, plays into the, the attention spans of the day, but also one of the hugely popular methods of NFTs now by their art comparisons are these families, these collections, uh, these big drops. There's a thousand of this type. There's 10,000 mm-hmm. board ape, ape yacht club people. Uh, there's, you know, a couple rocks or whatever. And people take pride on the number of their image. And just like art prints, there's a rarity. Mm-hmm. There's a tier. And that's something you don't really see in music. It's not like, oh, yeah, I got the number, number 10 recording of Beethoven five, like no one really cares. Cause it sounds the exact same. It's really hard to make that music distinguishable. Like, mm. Oh, did they play it better on the first 10 prints? And then the rest, they messed up the intro. Like, no, it's kind of hard to ascribe that value, but what's really cool in this space, because there is this value based on having being part of that collection and having that ownership and then the flexibility, what I think could be exciting. And this is something I've looked into. I haven't explored it or, or fleshed it out yet, but these collections of music. So like Ken with your loops mm-hmm. is that 50 through 100 are, are just separate stems. And then maybe 
25 through 49 is them layered. And then as they get closer and then maybe number one is the only time they're all layered or something like that. And then it's take three versus take five versus this layer versus this layer. And so then you have all these stems that can layer and like form a full, full piece. I love uh, that. But yet you've divided up the ownership. So everyone can own their own little variant. It feels unique. People like the uniqueness. I mean, it's the whole, it's the in, in the NFT. They like having that uniqueness, but they like being part of this family and this collection. So you might have 10,000 uh, huge Kin fans running around there who have bought the Kin collection. Uh, and I don't know. I think that's kind of exciting because it might seem silly to us musicians or whatever. Mm. But then again, how many classical musicians have a devoted fan base of 10,000 people who are taking pride and setting their ringtones and setting their, you know, their sounds and their lives based off of their music. Not many people in classical mm -hmm. music, maybe That's none. True. And so you can really build this weird yet beautiful community <laughs> <laughs> that can also buy you a, a Tesla. So it's kind of nice. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things Ken has done is is turn those those loops into a sample pack. Maybe Ken, you could talk a little bit about that because we've seen creations made from Ken's pizzicato loops that I wouldn't have even dreamed of. I think that's cool. Yeah, and uh, I I love to thank uh, Mr. Drew Ford, our Lord and Savior, uh, <laughs> over here for helping me kind of put that off the ground, get that off the ground, really, because. I was, you know, as one does, one calls Drew Ford to <laughs> some soothing of the soul in conversation and inspiration and motivation as one progresses through life. And I had one of those moments and I was feeling, you know, a little stuck. And I call Mr. Mr. Ford over here. I was like, hey, you know, like I, I have some of these things and I have some ideas not really sure what the standards are because um, I'm just, I wasn't very much into that producer, I guess, world. And I've heard about sample packs. I've heard about them and, but I wasn't really sure kind of what was involved in it. So Drew being a little bit more familiar in that world, he, he gave me ideas or what to expect in that space and some ideas of, you know, maybe like pricing and how to package it and everything. So, uh, special thanks to Drew. Thanks to him. I've made a few extra hundred dollars selling Damn. those sample packs. So it's great. And it's exciting. Um, and it's really also the the fact that, you know, you're just kind of tracking your audience's response hmm. and you're doing your market research. So I was getting a lot of DMs and messages coming in from producers being like, hey, you know, love your stuff. Can I sample this? Can I sample this? Like, or in the comments being like, can I sample this? And I was like, yes, sure, if you want to. But, you know, so, <laughs> so really kind of coming from that side, I was like, I guess, you know, there are a lot of artists out there that wants to use my sound to create. And it's very similar to, you know, how Instagram Reel, the remix feature also operates or the TikTok duet feature also mm. operates. You're taking somebody else's sound and you are getting creative with it, which is kind of fun, part of the fun. So was kind of putting my ears to the ground and seeing what my audiences were responding to, what I was creating, 
what they were looking for, and then essentially just creating a product that aligned with their interests. So that's kind of what what it was because I I was already creating those things anyway. So they already exist. I didn't have to do any extra work because they were already made. So it's you know repackaging and rebranding. So it's also in a very efficient thing. I'm curious, can you like be specific on like the pathway from idea to production, what that process was like? How did you do it? Because you made an extra hundred bucks, I think that this could be valuable for our audience, especially kids who are like in college trying to make a quick buck. They're trying to like figure out how do they learn how to package their art and provide it to a marketplace that is that has demand for their art. So you can can you like highlight a little bit of that process for us and how you did it? Yeah, sure. So in the beginning, you do have to create something, right? You do need the product in and itself. And in my situation, I have this, uh, I guess, weird niche of playing the cello like a guitar. Mm-hmm. And that in and itself is... I guess a unique enough sound in the music world, but also in the production world where you have plenty of guitarists, bassists, um, having all these sounds already, but not so much cello pizzicato Mm -hmm. playing in the way that I do. So first, you know, kind of finding what, what sets you slightly apart, your niche, your, your uniqueness. And then from there creating something that, is both visually and orally interesting, I think, in a very kind of compact thing. Because as we all know, the attention span is very short. So we're, we're talking like 11 to 17 seconds mm-hmm. of just material because people don't really last much longer than that. Mm-hmm. And then for it to buy, buy it looping really well, you're, you're really leaning into this concept of the the completion, I guess, rate of the video being watched to the end. <laughs> and when videos get watched to the end is really helpful for the algorithm because then the algorithm will deem that video as something that is of quality when somebody, anybody watches the video to the end. So by it being looped, more people will be willing to watch to the end and watch it again because you'll have that. So, you know, I think you'll notice that a lot in really viral TikTok videos as well, where people really do a really beautiful job creating a nice loop. So it really Mm -hmm. kind of triggers people to watch it more than one time. So I think keeping that in mind. And then now once you have, you know, a series of that, in in terms of like packaging, the the platform that I use is called Gumroad. It's Mm. very easy platform in which you just upload whatever digital product that you have, you set a price, and you just put in your payout account information. And then all you have to do is just kind of put it out, share the link, and all people do is just click when they pay, it just goes straight into your account. So Gumroad, so that's G-U-M-R-O-A-D. Can you put it on a website? Yeah, well, I think you can integrate that if you want to. Um, I just have a link that I have in my link tree and I also have it on my website. Um, 
this is not sponsored uh, by Gumroad, uh, but uh, this is yeah. just one of the one of the sites that I was told about when Nathan and I we took our social media course back in the day, and this was right. just one of the things that was recommended. So use that, and obviously you want to try to write your copy in a compelling way and have like a, a specific target audience that you are looking for. In my case, specifically producers. Buy this and, or I'll kill you. Like, yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> threatening people always works really well. Yeah, and then, yeah, then just trying to come up with, a, you know, a compelling visual as your thumbnail to make it clear what it is that you are selling. And I think that's kind of how I started. But this is this is literally my first kind of digital products. So it's genius. You know, I'm trying to see how this works out and seems like people are enjoying it. So I'll try to, you know, pump out another one after I have like another 20, you know, loop or so, and then just kind of get in the habit of doing that since I'm doing this anyway, in order to initially, you know, grow an audience on Instagram and TikTok and everywhere else and just maintain presence on the social media front. And especially right now, because Instagram has a, as it has a bonus where when you upload on a reel, you're, you're getting paid per view. And, you know, that was a source of motivation initially to be like, oh, the more I pump this out, I'm going to get paid by Instagram mm-hmm. as well and incentivize. Because okay. you get paid on TikTok too per view. And now Instagram's like trying to follow suit with that too. Wow. I'm curious to go around the room and maybe we'll start with Nathan since we've got some of the titans of the digital age classical <laughs> musicians in here. Yes, that no shaking the heads, titans. How has it been shaping your art, your creation? Mm. Now all have I've had a lot of experience. You've been in this for a while. You've been doing all of these awesome creative things and projects for years, evolving, growing, taking courses on improving uh, the social media presence. So are there any particular learnings or obvious things that you've changed? Let's say since the last time we talked, within the past year, Hmm. what are some of the new things that you're doing as we kind of come out of COVID and after all these years of experience? Let's let's start with Nathan and then go around. That's a really good question. Um, I would say that my impetus for growth tends to swing between innovation, technology, and then also, I guess since we last spoke, I think my biggest change is I've sort of gone back into music itself to really revisit why I'm doing this thing as a musician, you know, going back to the cello and and thinking about what kind of sound I'm creating. how I'm connecting with others when I'm playing chamber music. In a way, COVID, yes, uh, spurred on this big sort of motivating factor to reimagine and rethink how I'm presenting my craft to the world through the internet. And then I feel like I got a little bit burnt out by that. And now I'm like, whoa, who am I as a musician what do I represent when I play music? And so that's sort of been the big thing I've been thinking about 
lately and just, you know, trying to go back to really improving as a, as a cellist. What about you, Ken? Yeah, I'm trying to think when the last time I even was with you guys on that podcast recording, but since then, Nathan and I took the, the course and I think from then I started to be much more strategic about creation and what I create and how I put it out there before beforehand I I really wasn't doing much research before I decided on the topic of what I was creating or when I was even putting content out I wasn't really doing very well with the SEO of really kind of putting in the right kind of information in whether if it's the title, description, thumbnail to optimize the best kind of reach and the result for the time that, you know, we spend creating because we, we do spend so many hours just creating things. And, you know, when we put it out, it's always a little sad if we don't get the kind of response that we were hoping for. Mm. And I was getting a lot of that prior. And I think partially it was because I was not very good at doing the research beforehand of what people were even, you know, searching for. And then when you are putting it out, really kind of doing your, your SEO duties of putting in all the, all the right information in all the right places. So King Kubota destroys cello loops. Yeah. (laughs) That's like just, you know, you, you want your things to show up in a search. Mm -hmm. So in, in regards to YouTube, I think that that has changed a little bit. I think also since then, my, I guess my Instagram has grown a lot more since I started doing reels and like the cello pizzicato, especially and the reels, it, kind of like took off, which has been great. Um, Pretty much kind of like doubled in followers, which has been really good to see. But, you know, I think it just caught the right thing at the right moment when reels start to become a thing. And we noticed that, you know, just kind of as we tried different, I think, social media platforms and TikTok is now kind of like the thing that's really blowing up. And, you know, eventually like these things will hit that point where you'll have more creators than I guess the audience consuming the content and then we'll kind of like plateau and you won't have as much kind of bombastic viral growth anymore but I think those are some of the things that's been different I guess in terms of how how I operate I think as a creator and just making sure that when I create something especially on Instagram or whatever that I'm I try to think about if I'm offering value of any sort is really kind of where it starts to go. Because if people are taking their time to watch my content or they choose to subscribe or follow me, I want to make sure that it's worth their time and I am providing any, any value. And whether if that be something educational or entertainment or inspiration, you want to, as a creator, bring value, I think, in any sense. And I think that is the baseline in which will help build an audience and have people continue to return 
and in, interact with you is if you can continue to provide some sort of value. I love that, Ken. Can you, Nathan, kind of, or you or Nathan, like disclose who the uh, who the course was by? Because it's actually a person we've been wanting to get on the podcast for a little while. Oh, yeah. So her name is TJ Lee. Uh, her social media presence is under Cup of TJ. She's a she's a host, like food host, food vlogger, chef, primarily kind of this uh, funny, quirky, cute character. Mm-hmm. And she has a lot of this social media coaching program driven from her success from starting at, you know, nothing and then really building her channel and all her experiences from during that journey, she compiles into this course. I think it's a, it's a three month course, right, Nathan? Yes. Yeah. So it's a three month course that you can take and she's just kind of right there by your side for those three months trying to teach you kind of like the ins and outs of the game, the business side of things, the techie SEO, kind of all of that aspect, and also really helps you clarify who you are as a creator and Mm. kind of organizes your life. And I think both Nathan and I found, found it to be helpful. And I think we both took some valuable things out of that course. She's brilliant. I love her to death. I actually met her in 2017 when we did the uh, the YouTube Next Up boot camp. Wow. And it's just it's so it's so wild how, you know, the creative world just gets smaller and smaller and smaller <laughs> and smaller over time. Um, yeah, it's I'm funny because I feel like there's a, you know, there's I think there's a lot of people that initially like start off creating, but there's not a lot of people that will Stay continue creative to create, you know, for many years. And Mm. that's what I, that's what I see a lot of, you know, even amongst my, some of my circles too, you know, I think, I think a lot of us saw this during the pandemic where people all of a sudden had all these like creative spurts of their like, Oh, I'm going to start this. I'm going to start this year's. I'm going to start this. I'm going to start doing this thing. I don't know if many of them continued when, things started to open up again and that also started to die off. So it's hard. I think we all know as creators how hard it is to just keep creating and keep having a presence and just keep putting something out there on a constant and consistent basis is a challenging thing. So I think, you know, when you get to those kind of upper echelons of creators who've really kind of garnered a lot of following base because of their dedicated long hours and long years, it starts to really kind of narrow up top. It does filter the week. (laughs) In every field, you know, that that's just something that's common across everything, right? Like uh, we, we just were speaking with, before we jumped on this call, we were speaking with a gentleman who's doing a doctorate right now in classical guitar and is fed up with it. And I think Mm. one of the ingredients that, you know, I think is not spoken about as much as like patience. Mm -hmm. If you stay in the game, so many people will, will dip. 
because it's it's become uncomfortable. So this leads me to a question uh, for you. We'll start with Nathan. We'll jump to Ken afterward. We have a lot of like creators who are just starting out on their journey. Like as you said, Ken, there are a lot of people that during the pandemic they got these creative bursts, but then they stopped. And I have an idea as to maybe a factor, a really big contributing factor as to why that is. Mm. Criticism, mean criticism, mean comments. It's an inevitability when you are a creator doing something that's different. You're going to get people that don't like it. It's my personal philosophy that if people don't like it, you're doing something interesting. But I'm curious as to like how you guys handle that because I'm sure – Ken, there were many people that were like, oh, he's playing like a guitar. Why doesn't he just pits like you're supposed to, right? What are some of the mental models that you guys go through to kind of handle the the criticism and have the patience to keep going through it? Nathan, first. Criticism is such a huge concept, especially so in the classical music world. Mm. We're taught to be self-critical. We get criticism from others. It comes from from all over the place. I think the thing that really changed my relationship with criticism, and I'm still working on it, let's be real here, is that you have the ability yourself to address criticism. It comes from within. You you don't have to feel helpless about it. And the first step that goes into that is analyzing the criticism that comes in. Is it valid or is it invalid? Is it somebody that's really trying to give you great advice that you just need to get your ego over and really make it your own in a way that's authentic in you? Or is it the different kind of criticism, which I think we alluded to, where you block it out and you stay the path, you stay steadfast? Mm -hmm. I think criticism comes in multiple forms and understanding those two is important. So, for example, just this past week, I was in Vancouver hanging out with my family and I was practicing and my mom comes over and she goes, why are you breaking that cord in the prelude of the box? (laughs) (laughs) Mom! (laughs) One great thing that one can do is if you can articulate the reason why you're doing something in general, that means that that other criticism has less validity. It comes from a place of intentionality. That's incredibly important. If you're just doing things willy-nilly and, well, you're getting criticized, then maybe you should reconsider. I don't know. These are some of my thoughts on it. And I think it's important to always be, try and stay positive amongst criticism because it can totally get you down. Internalize it in your own way, but Try and move on in a positive way. Always see the path beyond. Mm, brilliant. Ken? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I I have a few ways that I approach it. First, like coming from a mindset that regardless whatever I'm doing, there's always going to be a group of people that love what I do, a group of people that hate what I do, and a group of people that are just indifferent and doesn't give a shit about what I do. <laughs> you know, and there's just always going to be these like three groups of parties, regardless what I'm going to be doing, whether if I do what I like, whether I do something I hate. Coming from that place, I just try to always kind of center myself and just like understanding that these are the group of people that just exist. And you'll never 
win over 100% of the audience base. And then this is something that I think Gary Vee talks about a lot too, but this, this sense of empathy, I think when, when people are taking time out of their lives to consume your content, react to it, and then write something really mean in the comments, they're the ones that's going through a really hard time in their life, probably. And it's like a reflection of the pain that they're going through. So to kind of approach and handle them from a place of compassion and empathy is what I try to always kind of have my mindset to do. And for your reaction, your initial reaction to not be, oh, I'm offended or I'm insulted or like this person is like really mean, but just kind of being like, hey, like, are you okay? Kind of like thing (laughs) is, I think, a much kind of like healthier human kind of approach to things. And then the... The third point, I guess the third angle that I approach it is just humor. I've, mm. at least in my, in my upbringing, I'm sure we've all been really kind of bullied. I think growing up and the way that I dealt with a lot of bullying was just hit him, like beat them to the punchline or just kind of turn that situation into a kind of humorous thing. And then they'll kind of, you'll, you'll end up kind of winning them over a little bit and a lot of the things that I, I was made fun of growing up just as kind of like an Asian face, my like nose was flat or like my face was big. So, you know, like when people would comment, my friends or whatever, be like, man, Ken, your head is so huge. Then I, w- I would have to be like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. You know, like that recent solar eclipse, I really didn't mean to. But, you know, I just <laughs> happened to just walk in front of the sun and it seems like I caused some darkness so that was my bad but i'll try to you know be careful where i'm walking next time you know like mm-hmm. you just have to kind of turn every situation in that and then it it does kind of relieve i think a lot of it and so same thing when people are in my comment section being like yo that's that's not how you play cello or you or things like that i'm like oh wait really else I'm sorry. I'll like Google, Google it and watch some YouTube tutorials. <laughs> I, I had the wrong idea. Sorry. Kind of like, you know, just, you, I think, you know, approaching things from a much more kind of humorous, positive, optimistic way can keep you sane because it's how, how you end up receiving it and how you end up reacting to it. Ultimately, you, it's impacting you. Hmm. So you can choose to either, you know, those comments ruin your day or your week or your month. Or you can start to build, if anything, a skill set and really build a callus in your mind. And callus in the way, your mind. Callus in your mind <laughs> and also learning these little tricks that you can also transfer to other you know, social situations when you're in that awkward situation where somebody criticizes you or somebody you know, insults you. Like, can you turn that around? So... That's kind of the three places that I try to tackle it from. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about the perspectives because what we're going through now, it's never happened in human history. All those comments are things more often than not that they would never say to your face (laughs) if you knew who they were. You'd never interact in real life anyways. And if you look at the scope of some of these things, you post up a YouTube video, 50,000 people look at it, and you're like, nah, 
my last one got, you know, quarter of a million. Mm, this one's okay. If 50,000 people showed up at your next Empire Wild concert, <laughs> you would lose your fucking mind. It's a stadium. <laughs> the Beatles have arrived. Let's go buying the two Maseratis. And yet we look at these numbers now and they don't really mean anything. We get these weird no. comments and they don't really mean anything. Yeah, All these no, numbers. It's, it's really, it's really weird. You guys are on, on the edge of this, the cutting edge. You're going through these experiences where it's very likely. In fact, there's a high likelihood that more people, more ears have heard what you're doing than ever heard Brahms during his time. Bach during his time, Mozart's during his time, Vivaldi during his time combined. And right. you're reaching more ears and certainly a, a bigger, more diverse set of audiences, certainly more global. And yet we're still, it still feels weird to just have such impact, such outreach and honestly providing this much value. How does all of this sit in your mind? How do you also combat these? Obviously with, dealing with humility and trying to be set in reality, but how do you deal with this different types of numbers? Because there is no playbook. No one else mm -hmm. has done this before. How do you cope? To be honest, I stopped caring about the numbers a long time ago because the numbers don't bring me happiness. Mm. Different types of things bring me happiness these days. Money brings me happiness. <laughs> 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 the numbers don't matter anymore. <laughs> Except in my bank account. Yeah. <laughs> Except in dollar dollar bills, baby. Except no, Bitcoin? I think I think the greatest the greatest satisfaction comes at least in my musical life, the greatest satisfaction has come from moments where I feel I've performed or executed in a way that reflected my level of preparation. It's so stupid in a way when I say it out loud, but when you play like just like the way you want to play, that gives you a lot of happiness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think because then you re the worst thing that can that one can happen. I feel is you say, "Well, I know I could have done better." To me, that's the greatest disappointment any creative can have. So instead of fighting for numbers, I fight for that feeling where I did what I set out to do. And I don't set out for numbers. I think you're really good at that. You know, that's one of the things I admire about Nathan too. Like just, you know, growing up in our little musical endeavors together, just you've always been kind of that guy who, you know, is willing to put in like a hundred percent in your preparation for something that you really want you know and this was the same thing that i saw when you were preparing for your auditions for your orchestra auditions mm -hmm. this was the same when you were preparing for your marlboro auditions you know i think that's something that's you know easy to say but really hard to i think pull off and i think i see that when your preparation actually takes fruit and you're able to execute it the way that you intended it and having that the most direct line from I guess the idea that you have in your mind directly to through the cello out to your output it's just always really kind of cool to see and it's a as we know as musicians it's one of the hardest things to do 
like that direct line from what we first visualize in our head to what comes out of our instrument and how the audience hears it to get that as efficient and as direct as possible is one of the hardest things to do. And I think Nathan's, Nathan's really kind of crushing that. That means a lot coming from you. I wanted to echo that Ken. I wanted to echo that about Nathan because, um, faking fam if there's one thing that you'll learn is that working with somebody in a project really teaches you about who they are as a person and like in working on adele's hello cover for our entrepreneur project back at juilliard man i learned so much about commitment from you and that's one of those things that I don't know, at least personally, it's it, commitment's hard. It's scary because like, what if it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. right? It's that fear of the unknown, but you don't seem to have that fear, Nathan, because I think that one thing that you've kind of learned and I think learned before I did is that like, when you truly commit to something, it's not a failure is not necessarily the option because that's not there is no failure when you have full commitment, right? When you really visualize something, it, it may not come, success may, may not come in the form that you envision, right? And I think that's true because you didn't just audition for Seattle. You had other, you know, orchestras you worked out for. But I think the goal was just to play at the level that you wanted to play and you trusted in the fact that the result would be something beautiful, something that would carry your life forward. And I think people are blinded to that reality of commitment. Hmm. It's like, yeah, like I'll all be happy if I get in to Philadelphia or Chicago, right? But you could get into Atlanta. You can get into the Met. You can get in New York, Phil. You can get into LA, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think that by having that open-mindedness and committing, that's the greatest lesson I learned from you. And one mm-hmm. of the reasons I look up to you so much is because you're not afraid to commit because you know at the end it'll be fine. You leap and the net will appear. And that's one of the most beautiful things about you. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. I, I feel we, uh, everyone in this room has a, a deep sense of commitment. And I think we've we've learned how important that is. Even though I feel commitment for all of us manifests itself in slightly different ways we understand the importance of it and i think that's something i really respect about all of you really truly and on the subject of adele drew (laughs) (laughs) have you told the story to the faking notes podcast fam of uh a little a little something you know, I want to know it from the horse's mouth. Oh, <laughs> how cool okay. was that? Okay, so, everyone drew played with Adele. <laughs> yeah, it, it was surreal. Okay, so here's here's what here's what went down. So I was slated to play with Kishibashi down in um, Orange uh, on a Saturday, and I'd had it on the books for about a month and a half. So I was like, okay. This is locked in. Two weeks before that performance, I get a call from Stephanie Matthews. And the one thing that I've learned, we've actually had Stephanie on the on the podcast. Faking fam. Faking fam. 
When you get a call from Stephanie Matthews, you cancel everything else and you just say yes. <laughs> you nice. don't know what it will be, but you just have to trust. And so oh. after missing out on on playing on a few prominent gigs uh, for her because of other conflicts, I've just learned if I get a call from her, nothing else matters. I need to be doing this. So wow, I learned that. That's cool. So I did that. Didn't know what it was for. So I get to this nondescript, I get a call saying that there's going to be multiple shooting dates. So I just need to, I need to block off about five days just randomly. And they're just going to pick which day they're going to shoot. Um, So we did a pre-shoot at this like warehouse that was in the middle of like Glendale somewhere. I don't even remember. And uh, they didn't tell us who it was for. Like it was all hush hush. They like they like for the songs that we were recording, they had like letters just like AK or OK or PS. Right? Or could you tell what you were playing immediately from the first sweet notes? Not necessarily because it was a lot of her new stuff. Oh, right. And, right, there, right, and right. in the in the tracks that we were playing, there was no vocals. So it was just all string parts. But shout out faking fan member Leah Zeger was on the gig and she like she like ran up to me and was like you know who this is for right Whoa. i was like i have no idea so she spilled the beans but we were not supposed to say anything and uh i had to keep it keep it super low-key tight lift so we essentially what her team had done is they had like blocked off all of griffith observatory like the road was blocked off at the base of the, the little mountain so we are all the musicians were supposed to park in like this food for less across from uh, the UCB theater now closed on sunset. We park in this defunct grocery store parking lot, take a shuttle up the mountain because the shuttle was the only party that was had access. They had roadblocks, they had security. It was nuts. So we go up, we get to the observatory. We're about, a football field away from the stage and there's a staging area where we have to check in. We all got tested. Uh, so we had to check in for testing temperature check. And then we had to go to another kiosk to get our credentials. And at that kiosk, we were given stickers and we had to place the stickers over our cameras on both sides, the front and rear. Whoa! They were not fucking Camera right. stickers. Wow. It was called project blue. Like they they did not want people knowing about this. So that's crazy. Um, yeah, man. One night only. So we we go in, we do a rehearsal. It was cool. Uh, it was dope. Adele was not there, but we just ran the show. And then we come back the next day. The production had been pushed a day early because there was a chance it was there's a chance of rain. Wow. It's supposed to be on a Monday, but we had to push everything forward on a Sunday. All the A-list stars had to come through a day early. Whoa. So and they we get came. dressed, we get fitted. Yeah, I had to it, change my whole schedule for this. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Trevor, I yeah. see you. I saw you sitting next to childish Gambino. Yeah. <laughs> so we get dressed. We're, we're it's one of those things, Hollywood, it's like hurry up and wait. So we're just waiting around for hours and hours and hours. Mm-hmm. Call times 10. We show up, get fitted. And then we're just waiting. We're eating. We're chilling, talking Good shit. Good food reading mm-hmm. <laughs> all right all right it was food 
And so we go, <laughs> and then we go. So we're walking, we're all dressed. We have our instruments in tow and we're walking past all the trailers, housing the equipment. There are the lights, the cameras, the, the equipment, jaw dropping. It was a Amazing. crew of hundreds, hundreds of people working on this, this production. It was so we're walking past production. some of the trailers and then we're getting close to the stage and there are already stars there. Aaron Paul and Nicole Richie are just like waving at us emphatically saying, yeah, 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 let's go, let's go. Super <laughs> nice, dude. I was like, are you serious? Is, is this a computer screen? Like, Whoa. are you real life? Is this real life? Music, so, bitch. Music, <laughs> bitch. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's where Mr. Daniel Danger. Science, bitch. That's why we need a producer Science. coming in with that. Exactly. The- the hits. So we walk past. I see Tyler Perry in front of me talking to some people. Gordon Ramsay walks by and says, good luck. Wow. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, okay. Wow. Saw Tracy Lee, Chase, Tracy Ellis Ross. Um, I saw Oprah, like, way Whoa. in the distance. Whoa. Uh, yeah, it was, it was wild. So we get on stage. It's cold. Our hands are frozen. It's really hard to play. We hook up our DPA, uh, DPA mics and and plug in our ears. And so we do the set. And then about 10 minutes into the set, Drake and his posse walk in. And and like during rolling in the deep and everything, Drake is just bobbing <laughs> his head and like having a good old time. I was like, this is, what is this? And that was Whoa. the first time you saw Adele. That was the first, yeah, Adele walks out. Whoa. Actually, she was there for the rehearsal earlier that day. But Whoa. yeah, first time I saw her walk out in her dress with her Saturn earrings. Whoa. Was she cool? Oh. Did she did she kind of wave to you guys? Did she pay respects? Um, Press F to pay respects? No. Oh, mm. man. I'm sure no. she had a lot going on in her head. She had a lot hello. going on. She did not say hello. Oh, what the heck? God damn it. Adele didn't say hello? How are you? No. She, she, that did not happen, but I think I felt her gratitude from afar. I will say that. But, you know, at the end of the day, like a lot of these A-list stars, it's so rare. I've been fortunate to like meet a couple or be around a couple. And most of them just don't have time. They have so much, like they're going to get airlifted out right after this thing. They're just like, they're on a different they're on a different schedule. So that wasn't, that wasn't necessarily the best part, but you know what? Like it was a night to remember, like everybody, definitely, everybody was like, so engaged. She was, it was a masterclass in how to really command attention from an audience and how to perform at the highest level. Like she did everything live. I know. Like that was crazy. not a lip sync. She was singing everything live. She was under the weather. She was having back problems. What? She was injured and she did all that. She's amazing. So, I mean, and it was cold. Like you couldn't really tell, but it was it was like 55 with like wind blowing. Like people in the audience were bundled up and we were in we were in t-shirts and she was in a strapless dress you know what i mean and she was crushing it couldn't tell right consummate professional so i'm i'm thankful for the experience 
That's amazing. It's interesting how you see those stars rise to those big, uh, rise to their moment in kind of like, I don't know. It's like either fight or flight. It feels like that in a way, but there's um, a poise and there's a understanding of the moment when you see somebody that really knows how to perform. That's just very awe-inspiring. It's there's a can I call factor. back to something Ken said too? She called it out. You know, Ken, you were talking about like if if you're gonna make you make it fun of about something you're afraid of that you'll call it out. One of the first things she says like, I'm, "I'm fucking nervous, and I can't do the uh, I can't do the, <laughs> the accent. British accent. The Brit- British accent. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But, but no, good. she was like, I, I need a moment. It was real, and she called it out, and she got an applause from everybody because everybody's been there. Like we all know what it's like. And then she composed herself, and she crushed it. Just own it. Like if you're nervous, just own it. It's just another that lesson was being taught again. Just own mm. that shit. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of one of the old, old. Uh, I think it was Charisma on Command videos, mm. but it was talking about in social situations where you are more accomplished necessarily in that particular field to whoever you're talking to. You're an A-list celebrity, you know, like like us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or but but you're going on and you don't want to you never want to make the person you're talking to feel uncomfortable or feel less or that they don't get what you're talking about and it really goes towards that relatability <laughs> and mm-hmm. it used all these different types of examples Jennifer Lawrence is a master of this even the recent vulnerable interviews <clears throat> like Andrew Garfield going out there I think the loss of his mother or something uh, along those lines. And when you see this vulnerability or people saying, I'm really nervous about this, or I was really uncomfortable and describing how they felt in just a relatable human way, mm. it sets the perfect stage to allow someone to feel like you do. So I think we can all say we're all just like Adele. <laughs> she's she's the next guest on this podcast right yeah oh yeah, yeah no Our we're all 30 or whatever you know yeah but i don't <laughs> put it on my album you know i just, just <laughs> she had to reschedule with oprah just to make room for us so <laughs> you know i wanted to talk a little bit about one of the things you said nathan that i thought was beautiful that i think a lot of us can really relate to there's something about executing on your plan and that's the most beautiful thing uh it's i think it's very similar to composition i think at least for me besides the standard exploring or curiosity or testing out ideas or working with people you love and all these other musical goals i think really what the craft of comp composition is Hmm. is just getting ever closer to being able to put your idea on the paper to execute because everyone's, I have a great idea, and they try to write it down. Turns out it wasn't so great. But <laughs> they, they just weren't able to execute that. And that's what I think I just noticed over time as I got a little closer. Well, that was like 50% of my imagined vision or what I projected as the next thing. It's 51%. It's getting closer. If we think of sports, obviously there's an end goal. You want to win. Winning's great. It's really good for it's really good for your team. It's good yeah. for any sport. Typically, winning 
Good idea. You heard it here first. But, <laughs> but there's that thing you always hear with coaches or they're coming out there. And it's not necessarily about being hard on themselves, but they're getting interviewed and, yeah, we played a great game and, you know, we put up more points than the other team. Well, well, duh, that's how you win the game. Right. Whatever. Great answer. But they're always talking, oh, yeah, well, I wish in the third quarter we just, we, you know, the penalties were killing us. They could have crushed it, put up 40 points, won the game handedly. But the only time you really see them smile and, and happy isn't when they toughed out some sloppy game. It's when they're like, we came in and we executed the game plan and we won on all sides of the ball. Mm. Uh, unlike the Carolina Panthers today. It was the opposite of that. Uh. But um, <laughs> when you watch in the finals, LeBron executing perfectly, the Golden State Warriors during that awesome period where mm -hmm. it just looked beautiful, the Spurs before that, the Lakers before that, where you're just watching teams that maybe even didn't have the best talent but there's that thing of beauty where they're just yes. executing it's amazing. all of these sports, the Olympics, all these athletes to watch someone execute a game plan. That's when you really see them smile. It's, it's not even the medal always. Yeah. When they've done and reached their potential, that's where that happiness comes from. And I definitely think that's uh, something super relatable. And I'm glad you were able to bring that up. Yeah, I mean, I'm in total agreement. I think that's the beauty of the of the of the game if you will the, i like the concept you said all sides of the ball what are all sides of music to you all mm. you know? performance <laughs> no performance composition improvisation exploration nfts ah, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, ask our resident in consistency expert. Yes. Ken, that uh -huh. was, of course, one of the focuses, and you were an inspiration for this podcast. We don't make it to 100 without the template of consistent Ken going in there and, and just always showing up and sticking around. And it's something we spoke to earlier about so many people come in there and realize how hard it is to do everyone looks oh yeah a funny little video oh i could do that and then four weeks later that took how many hours no one liked it this, is, this sucks this is awful one year in quitting all these other things and i i don't mean that as and we don't mean that as a diss to them it's really just a token of praise and respect for you to have been there um, and all of you to be so consistent and just being a presence for years and years and years. Again, it's something unique because this is new. This whole space is new. It's, it's not even 20 years old. We're not even close to that. And yet you've now been in it for a while. One, are you tired? Uh, <laughs> and are you okay? And uh, two, what is the next phase of consistency? Is it this strategy? Is it maybe allowing yourself gaps or having planned gaps, being consistent in the execution? Where are you in your consistency? You're multiple years in, but is it changing a little? Uh, are there tips to keeping it established, to keep going when the grind gets tough? What is it for you? Yeah, so I'm at an interesting point now where I I broke my streak. So I've I stopped running, right? Metaphorically. So I'm, I'm at a place where I took, you know, the biggest hiatus that I ever did as a content creator in terms of consistency. 
And for the first 500 videos, which took like four, five years or something, I, you know, promised to myself that every Tuesday and Friday, I will have a video out. And then once I, once I hit that 500, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break and take a step back and kind of re reevaluate. Cause one of the, one of the things that you guys probably also know is when you're, when you're in that kind of schedule, your world just kind of revolves around it. That's kind of all you're thinking about, you know, on a constant basis. That's taking up all your free time. So you you don't end up actually having that much moment to self-reflect or evaluate, I think, where you are or what you want to do in your next steps or how you want to reinvent yourself. So this this has been really kind of nice. I mean, it's definitely really nice not to be strapped to that anymore and it's also significantly harder to go back to consistency once you've fallen off that oh preach preach and you know let's go it's it's tough you know because initially i was like okay i'm only gonna you know maybe do like a few weeks of just like a break and i'm gonna hop back on this horse and just gonna keep Mm -hmm. riding along uh yeah Mm -hmm. definitely did not happen and it, I feel like it's very similar to long distance running, right? What when you are running and moving, it's a little bit easier to keep the momentum. But the moment you like stop running, it's really hard to just like get back start up. running again. So that's kind of where I am, and I've talked to Drew about this. And you know, during kind of my tail end of my five hundred, I was like, man, like this is. This is getting tough, you know, and especially because at that time, the pandemic hit and I had to convert all my JHM jams into a virtual sessions, which took significantly more time yep. and much more labor intensive. And it was really hard to keep that going. So, you know, Drew being the guru, the guru that he is, he's like, <laughs> you know, like, it's okay to not define yourself i know because like part of part of the issue that i had is that you know even in my previous appearance in your podcast or just my my brand i felt was becoming that consistent guy and that was putting my own pressure to myself of being like so if i stop being consistent then am i not can anymore like is is that where you know i lose my identity Mm-hmm. And you know that's that's not necessarily the case. I mean, it mm-hmm. seems like you guys still talk to me. You know, ah. you still recognize me. As cut, the feed, cut the feed. Cut the feed. So you know that's that's good news that you don't lose your friends when you stop mm-hmm. being consistent in your content. Definitely creation. not. No. But it's it's been cool because now now that I took the break, then it opened me up to do a lot of other things that I like didn't realize I wanted to do or the things that, you know, maybe I wanted to do, but just didn't have time for because I was strapped to a schedule. And some of those things include just like putting out more just like cello pizzicato videos. I enjoy doing it and it like really builds my technique that I want to build in order for me to either, you know, produce songs or write songs and, you know, when I took the break, too, I had more time to spend with my band, Empire Wild. And because I did, you know, I, I spent more time editing videos with them, which allowed me to apply for 
CAG, the Concert Artist Guild, for our audition. And I was able to put together a compelling video audition because I spent more time editing that instead of JHM. And fortunately, we won. And now that opened up a whole new career front for me. And even writing songs with other people or working on other collaboration projects, I think, with other people, it it now opened up a lot of things. Now, I feel like, you know, in the 500 videos, I've built a foundation in which I could now stand on and have some sort of credibility of my existence and identity. And now it's opened up, I think, a variety of new ventures that I'm excited about and happy to be in. So that's kind of where I am. At first, I was a little sad and a little disappointed in in the breaking of the streak. But then once I took a step back, I realized, you know, it's it was a valuable thing. And I definitely needed a little rest from that ridiculous streak. And it like doesn't mean that I'll quit. I still I still make JHM jams and still putting those videos out. But I'm still able to do it and still have fun because now it's not something where I feel like I just like have to or else, you know, kind of thing. So I love that. That's where we are in my current journey. And I I set you up with a leading question because I wanted you to talk about it. (laughs) It was a trap. Uh, you uh, because sneaky, to, have, to have done so many things but i i loved how you framed it looking at the lives and strategies of athletes every sport has an off season and yet we don't really talk about that in music when we have yeah. our off season it's summer festival time go to some other gig during the summer go play at this other festival you never really get a break and there's there was beauty in the consistency of hitting that hot streak hitting number 100 mm-hmm. hitting number 500 but if an if lebron james played basketball every single day he wouldn't win those championships Mm-mm. like it wouldn't happen like it's it's a timed peak thing they're sitting out games halfway through and it sucks for whoever bought tickets to those but uh <laughs> that's the game you play like they're thinking about their their end game the beauty of their sport and their craft. And a big part of that is the off season. There were some really cool interviews from other athletes and cyclists. They're young, they're at the top of their game and they might go an extra hour in their training, or they're going to go out and do a long bike ride during the, the off season. And then they tell their coach and instead of being praised, wow, that's great. You know, really putting in extra time. They're like, get off the bike. Yeah. I told you to rest. Mm-hmm. Like this is part, do you want to win the championship next year? It's not about going hard now. Like you need, you need this downtime. You need to go watch film. You need to go do these other things. Look back at the videos of you training, um, do different strategies. And so, uh, if anything to me, it doesn't seem like there was any break in the consistency because your consistency is, is being kin and is creating. And so yeah. you're just doing it, uh, in a different fashion, in a different hot streak, uh, and in a different method so you're still yeah. you're still on your ken hot streak you're still going <laughs> i appreciate I, that because yeah. i lately i've been i've been doing a lot of peloton that's kind of my new exercise nice. thing and the instructors talk about this all the time where you know we we do interval training where they're like this recovery period is just as important you know like take it this take the recovery because if you recover well it'll allow you to hit harder on that next 
push. And I really feel that. And I think that's kind of what it is. And also, whatever, during the consistency period, I think with anything, we just need maybe, you know, we do need, I think, a chunk of time of some form of consistency to just develop a skill. And I think Mm -hmm. that's just kind of what I was doing during that time. I was just developing the skill of how to record, how to Mm -hmm. mix, how to master, how to film something, how to record and edit a video, all of those things, how to even schedule and organize a group of people to appear in one place, you know, and to lead a session. (laughs) This podcast. (laughs) Yeah, like lead a session, like in an organized and productive way. And all I feel like all of those things are now tools that I have kind of built and learned that I can apply to other other things in life. And I'm sure you guys have all felt that, you know, doing what you do, like the seeming, like you might not be focused on those things as you are creating and being consistent. But when you kind of look back and think about the skill sets that you have learned by doing something over and over and over again, and just like failing and just learning from your mistakes and just building some sort of skill sets, when you notice the transferability of the skill sets that you learn and any one thing that you did consistently, and then that being a really strong asset and a tool to build something else later is I think things that I'm starting to notice more now that I've taken a step back and reevaluated what I have learned from my time of being consistent. Ken, I feel like I owe you money. <laughs> Should I just tell you what my Venmo account yeah, is now? Dude, just yeah, send me your Venmo, man. Like you're gonna buy just a sample pack. Fucking gems. <laughs> you know what I learned from doing JHM jams with you, bro? The skills you gave me have paid dividends here in Los Angeles. Cause a lot of like what happens is like, for instance, my roommate and I, Winton, were called to go do some short video with Jojo in Gold Digger Studio. And they sent us tracks with string parts, mm-hmm. but no music. And they needed us oh. to show up the next day. Wow. So guess what I had to do? I had to do the JHM Jam special, listen to these tracks and like <laughs> play them by ear. Nice. And that's yeah, how it, everything go. works. Like the higher you go, the less time they have for like making sheet music, making sure you're okay. Like you got to just be able to listen and do it. And that's what JHM Jams was. You just show up and you figure it out quickly. <laughs> it's the best incubator, man. Man, wow. That is... High praise and honor. You know, we should have just made all of this like an NFT. So, you know, when <laughs> I get the dividends from you using. <laughs> oh, yeah. The education. Oh, yeah, man. The so, education oh. NFT, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the resell, man. Aside from that, like Nathan, I'm curious from your social media journey, hmm. um, what are you most excited for outside of the NFT space? Like what is like, what's like some value you want to give to the the internet at large with your art? Making music is a fickle thing. At the same time, spontaneous and in the moment, but at the same time, it's the result of 20 plus years of practice and execution and planning Mm -hmm. understanding that dichotomy is 
humbling. And seeing a, a world of creators capturing that divide and pull is both inspiring and also daunting. Finding how you fit in that picture, I think, is a lifelong journey. You have to try a lot of things, see if something sticks. But when you find that thing, you run with it, baby. I guess one always needs to see how one can improve oneself, one can grow. Never stay settled with what you're doing. I think one of the beautiful things I've seen Ken do is it's not just consistency that I really love about Ken, but it's consistently creative. That's what I've really appreciated about how Ken gives value to people. And it's something I, I take to heart and trying to find that creative consistency is certainly a goal we should all strive for. I couldn't agree more, brother. I love you, man. Before we wrap up, um, it's all love. I love every single person on this call. You <laughs> love guys are going around. Wonderful, wonderful human beings that I'm just, I'm so lucky and thankful to be on planet Earth with you at the same time. Like, it's, it's so beautiful. And this is why I love art. It's just the people who make it are just some of the greatest. Do you guys have any final questions for Trevor and me before we wrap it up? We wanted to give the floor out to you let you take control for a little bit. Yes, I have been working out. Thank you. Thank you for uh, asking. <laughs> I was wondering about you those uh, big shit, arms. Bro. It's good. That's it's cause it's only it's 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 my it's my good angle. <laughs> I have a question. Hit us. As the, things seemingly shift back to equilibrium in this world, how have you changed as an individual? Trevor, you first. One thing I've talked about is what brings me the most joy and the consistency in my life is collaboration. Working with people, I love thinking about things. And my most recent collaboration is on the business side of music. Noticing what I enjoy, these types of conversations, helping out other artists, I spent a lot of time after moving to LA, I kind of had my pre-pandemic quarantine of one year of sadness uh, from which this podcast was born. And Drew and conversations uh, with you both have helped draw me out. And so I was prepared for the pandemic. I was like, oh, I've, I've been sad and alone for a year before. <laughs> I just did this. I'm ready. And so I had a very um, fruitful moment in this tragedy. And through that, I think what I'm most excited about, besides having discovering my why, I want to help musicians, I want to help artists, I want to provide value to them and to help them be better artists, better citizens, better people. 
I don't want it to go back to equilibrium. And I think that's what's jumping back to me is that there's this realization of, yo, how things were, were kind of insane, kind of awful. They weren't equitable. They weren't fair. Why should we return to this? Hmm. And so for the past year or so, I've been working alongside Drew on this podcast and in the, in the blockchain space and um, with their old classmate, Tommy Rohn, on, on the concert creation and concert booking side of things with the sole mission of things should be better and things will be better. Mm. So I've at least noticed that fire, that execution has now been put towards conversations like these, setting up gigs, finding money for artists, thinking about NFTs, being able to provide value to other artists and to to help them out. I spent a lot of time working inward and now I'm spending a lot of time looking outward, looking at everyone else's problems and saying, hey, let's make it better this time. So that's what I'm looking for and where I've been moving this past year. Yeah, Trevor, I've learned so much from you in this experience. I've learned from each and every one of you such important lessons. During the the pandemic, you know, the the forced quarantine gave me space to read more. It gave me space to recognize that, you know, much like Ken, going on the hamster wheel of content creation without a clear goal, clear, clear purpose is a recipe for burnout. And I did not want to reignite the engine if I didn't know what I'd be working for. And so I'd spent the last year learning about money, learning about ownership, learning about essentially how does one ensure future security? Because I realized I'm going to die. And if I die, I won't be able to to provide for my family. Or if like, let's say I get in a car crash here in Los Angeles and mangle my hand, if I can't play anymore, what? How, how am I going to put food on the table, right? And I realize I can do that by working today to acquire assets to accumulate capital that can residually earn me income for generations to come. And so I was like, okay, this is what we really work for. It's not to get that next gig with Adele. It's not to get the next Grammy. It's to be able to like be financially free and pursue the projects that I want to do without having to supplicate for funding from somebody who learned the rules of the game before I did. And then pass on that knowledge and that understanding to other people once I've achieved it. Because if there's not one thing, if there's one thing I did learn in this life is like people don't care what you have to say until you've actually done it. And if you haven't done it, it's all just talk. So I'm going to stop talking and we continue <laughs> to plan to do that and execute. 
So if you liked us talking, please like and subscribe. And uh, so if you just, for more episodes. Like... That was straight yeah, fire, Drew. Dude, Whoa, that's, that's some Let's nuggets right it. there. That's some it. nuggets. Are y'all fired up right now? I hope you're fired up. Yes, super fired up. Let's oh, get that's it, great, man. man. You guys Can are we all... meet up in our Teslas? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> man, you guys are all amazing. You know, like I don't I don't have a question for I feel like either of you, but just my my salute to all of you for, you know, being who you are and one of the things that I value and something that I also try to strive for in my own life is just to, I guess I'm coming from a place where one of my fears is to be lonely. So I appreciate when I meet people who make me feel less lonely in the world or you as a human being try to make the people around you feel less lonely, I think, in the world. And in the way that you do this, whether it's through creating, you know, content and making sure that the people watching or consuming your content, if they feel like an outcast or if they feel like they're a little lost or they feel lonely in their journey, you guys are there to be like, hey, it's okay. We're there for you. We're part of this together, you know, and even in this podcast, you know, all of the value that you bring to your community, you know, and making sure that nobody feels out of place or they feel lonely in their whatever journey that they are on. I think it's mm-hmm. something that I value and cherish in people. And I think you guys are right in that pocket. So I love you all. Love you too, bro. Thank you. Love United you we stand. Uh, <laughs> Producer Daniel, you wanna you wanna you wanna end end it up, like put the cap on it, man. Well, just want to wrap up by asking both you guys a, uh, a question. I guess things are picking back up now. We're kind of, you know, slowly going back to normal. Concerts are coming back again, and I guess projects are restarting. I actually just played a concert yesterday with uh, the acclaimed Drew Alexander Ford, and it was, it was, it was weird, man. It was wild. I, I, I felt, I felt like a like a baby goat, you know, trying to walk. It was just like, how do I do this? You know? Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> uh, I guess we're uh, just kind of, I just want to like pull out the, the red carpet. You guys got anything exciting coming up? Any projects you're working on? I think in terms of projects, there are the kind of things that I've been doing and we've talked about the JHM jams that you can find on YouTube and the pizzicato riffs that you can find on Instagram and TikTok at Ken James Kubota. And then the sample pack, if you're interested, if you're a producer, you can find through those links in my bio or my website, KenJamesKubota.com. And my band, Empire Wild. We are churning out songs and we have shows coming up in a variety of places. So if you would like to come see us, check our website at EmpireWild.com. And we'll be out and about. Hopefully, you know, we don't have any shows on the West Coast yet. So hopefully we book some so I get to see some of your pretty faces out there and such. But those are kind of the things that's been going on in my life. But, you know, you can always keep up on my journey on all the socials. I will be sure to let you guys know when exciting things 
pop up on the radar. What about Let's you, Nathan? Go. Great to be on the podcast again. Such a such a united community we have in the Faking Notes fam. Uh, so appreciate it. Be on the lookout uh, if you are a Grammy recording uh, recording Academy voter. Be sure to uh, vote for the Seattle Symphony for best orchestral performance. Would really appreciate that. Uh, we worked really hard on this album. Also, Sprock, Zarathustra, uh, some powerful stuff. Um, Going to be playing a couple of concertos uh, as this season plays out. If you're on the West Coast, they're all in California and in the Seattle area, Pacific Northwest. Uh, be sure to come out, support your boy. Uh, <laughs> your boy. It's and, your boy. Uh, of course, follow me on Instagram at Nathan Chancello. Hit up my website, NathanChan.com. It's a long game. Yes, this, sir. This journey of life. I'm looking forward to experiencing it all with each and every one of you. Thank you. Yes, sir. This is the fellowship of the faking fam. <laughs> <laughs> See you Thanks in a again, year, everyone. boys. <laughs> See you I'm next year. Elf. I'm the sexy elf. Yeah, I'm yeah. the sexy elf in the fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks again, everybody. We'll talk soon. Thank See you. you.